Hi there, my name's Max Newland. My friends and I love anime, but you don't have to take my word for it. Hello, my name is Max Kostrak, and I have a confession today. I do love anime. Hey there, my name is Stevie Matos, and I love anime like I love yogurt parfaits. I watch it, I engage with it, and I think about it a lot. Give me a good bed of mechs, sprinkled with some harem anime, a slice of life, and some little dabs of a sports anime. Let's go. Mm. Now doesn't that sound delicious? Join us every Monday at the After School Anime Club, a podcast where we play fun games and talk through the anime classics of the 90s and 2000s. That's the After School Anime Club, available now on your podcatcher of choice. to another episode of unwise girls i'm your host jacqueline and i'm your other host jane and we're your favorite podcast all about the books of rick riordan today well we've finished the heroes of olympus so it's time to take a little look back upon our time how are you doing today jane i'm doing all right i feel like i feel like i've really been uh hypnos moding recently uh-huh we've been fighting a kind of like rolling battle against my my epiness the past few days where we tried to record kind of late uh, two days ago, and then I was too EP and we couldn't. And then we tried to record at a normal time, more or less, yesterday, and I was too EP and we couldn't. So today we're like five hours early, but because like I keep getting turfed out of bed by the dog at seven o'clock, uh, I'm still EP. Jane, so... <laughs> you are hypnospilled. You are you are Morpheus celled, uh, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and. It's, it's come full circle. I'm being given a pill by Morpheus. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, but I, I hope you're awake enough to sort of look back at the, the book series that we've been talking about for like over a fucking year. It's insane to think that we've been doing it for that long and also that we're not going to be doing it anymore. I'm still not emotionally grappled with that. How are you, Jacqueline? I'm feeling pretty... Blah, 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 blah. Bless you. You get into that age. Your voice is cracking. There's hair in places. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, <laughs> I, I am feeling okay. It's early for me, by which I mean it's noon, so I'm just not used to the vibe yet. <laughs> that is early, I think. But we will we will do an excellent podcast anyway. How fucking long have we been doing the Heroes of Olympus? Let me see. You crack open Pinecast and have a look at that. First episode, that's exactly what I was doing. First episode, episode 61, first Piper shooter. Uh, it was our very first episode, and that was... Let me see. A year ago in April, April, April twenty uh, ninth, two thousand twenty two. Holy shit! <laughs> We've been half of our pod, over half of our podcast has been the Heroes of Olympus. These books are so fucking long. Sometimes I like look back and I'm like, should we have done this in a shorter format? Like, should we have <laughs> tried to keep it to less per episode or more per episode rather? I think that would have been miserable. <laughs> I think so. I think, the, I think we did. The thing th- is that the the books are big and there's a lot of stuff in them, and that would just be like condensing everything. It's one of the best calls we could have made. Probably, I think we're we're doing the podcast well, but also it's insane. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. So I I'm having a lot of fun here. 
what do we how do we want to go through this there's there's a few different things we usually talk about in these retrospectives we forgot to ask questions uh i don't know drop a message in the in the discord server and then we can maybe like circle back to it at the end if someone's yeah fuck if it. anyone's replied questions okay i've added everyone so we'll get to questions a little bit later if there are any how do we want to start this out do we want to start with just like a grand overview like jane what did you think of the heroes of olympus uh Jacqueline I feel bad about this but I am coming away from the Heroes of Olympus uh with the feeling that it was distinctly mid yeah <laughs> there's good bits in here there's the stuff that I like but there's also lots of stuff that I don't remember and also stuff that was bad I think there's a lot of stuff I don't remember because the books were so darn long and they so much of them just felt like it didn't matter yeah truly it feels like the, the opening of the book where they set up what's going to happen at the end matters and then it's a bunch of pissing about for 300 pages and then the ending matters which is not true of all of them yeah the opening doesn't even always matter blood of olympus made it seem like this final book was going to be this epic uh journey through the rest of greece where we like hit all these amazing like they're famous like uh, the thing with Odysseus and sort of like setting us up for this grand mythological tale and that wasn't really what we got from this final book at all it's insane to me that like they get to Athens and then they take a tunnel under Athens so that we don't have to go to Athens in the Greek mythology series it's really funny I, I kind of agree with you I think Heroes of Olympus was a little bit mid I liked a lot okay should we just book ranking should we book rankings before we continue let's book rank do you want to start with uh best or worst i think we should start with worst because i think that's easier <laughs> Worst son of neptune right yes it's son of neptune it's not close uh, this is this is even what i mean about like heroes of olympus being mid because there's good bits in son of neptune yeah none of them are even especially like funny bad like Kane chronicles got no that yeah yeah Mostly just kind of, like, boring bad when they were bad. Boring, boring bad. The first half is all right. I like the bit where Percy tricks that guy into killing himself. Yeah. <laughs> that I, was pretty good. I, there's a lot I enjoy from Son of Neptune for being the first book to give us, like, a look at Percy from outside of his own eyes. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think that's done really successfully. I think that, uh... Oh, we're going to need to talk more about like what we think about Camp Jupiter just like at the end of this, but Oh, definitely. I I think that the introduction to Camp Jupiter is decent. It it at least establishes itself as very different than Camp Half-Blood. It was decent enough that we spent most of the Son of Neptune episodes complaining that we hadn't spent more time there. Yeah. And for introducing Hazel and Frank, who you know I like as characters. I I think Son of Neptune is yeah. okay, but man, that that ending really sucked. The yeah, the back half really is just kind of drops the ball and just gets worse as it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just I don't know. It's a shame. It's a shame that the 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 Percy book, the one your previous favorite, the one that would have gone at the top if we'd done this ranking a decade ago, goes yeah. at the bottom. Yeah, that's really sad. I I still think the cover is awesome though. I think I still think it's one of the better covers. The the your your cover was awesome. Mine wasn't. <laughs> Yours was not. Actually, you know what? The UK cover for Son of Neptune wasn't actually that bad compared to some of the others. Which one was that? Let me see. It's the one where it's literally just like, it's Percy firing the river at the Gorgons at the opening of the book. It's fine. It does its job. Oh. 
Yeah, that that's like decent. It's one of the better UK covers for sure. It's not it's not like the cover for Lost Hero, which just has a fully grown man in an ill-fitting camp half blood shirt, like screwing up his face like he's taking a shit while he's jumping with a spear. <laughs> God, yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, what about number four? Number four. <laughs> I don't know how much of this is recency bias. It definitely could be. I kind of want to put Blood of Olympus at number four. I I'm thinking the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, as just as a singular book, as just an object on its own, I think it is better than Son of Neptune. But, and it, you know, it has it has some good bits and some bits that I enjoy, but it drops the ball so hard on, like, resolving a lot of the stuff from the rest of the series that I can't really justify putting it any higher. The amount of times that we said in the final episode, like, oh, yeah, this was, this was, you know, he'll get to it in the next book is harrowing. <laughs> Maybe he'll fix it in the next series. That's that's you shouldn't be saying that about the final book. <laughs> what if Rick Ryden had died? What if he had a heart attack after finishing Heroes of Olympus? Oh my god! You know, <laughs> yeah, that that alternate universe does definitely make this like just the franchise worse for sure. <laughs> uh, I I it's funny that you say recency bias because people usually take that to mean liking things more uh because they read it more recently but I, I i definitely kind of feel it too i'm like blood of olympus is so in my brain i'm just like thinking about all the problems i had with it right now yeah i i just think I, there's probably stuff that pissed me off in the other books uh that i've just forgotten about because it's been so long in this series i think lost hero is going to be a good beneficiary of this yeah yeah definitely it's because i had my problems with that but it's been so long that i pretty much only remember the stuff i liked <laughs> you had a i i still think that you had a big thing with this in uh, the first retrospective and just like our discussions going forward about like the lightning thief. Uh, and I, I wonder how much that's going to correlate onto the lost hero as well. I kind of, I, I should really like sit down and reread lightning thief to see if that is what it is. I wonder, I, I, I might do that too. So blood of Olympus is, uh, what are some, I, I think that some of the things that make it stand out more are like really, doing really well with like nico and reyna and them at least yeah reyna in the back half uh i understanding all the character dynamics by this point it's like when they do actually interact the interactions are like effective emotionally uh and i think just generally some of some of the plot beats are okay i, I think octavian has like the world's funniest and best ending I do, I love the way that Octavian goes out. I wish we had seen more of him throughout the series. But, like, that is that is a top-tier Percy Jackson villain exit. Yeah, I almost think, like, I, I do wish we'd got more on Octavian. I also think that, like, if we'd gotten too much more of him, then he wouldn't have been able to just fling himself into the sun uh, as his final <laughs> move. Like, he, that would have been like, okay, but for a, a character this important. But... At the rate he was at, I think Rick Riordan was like, this guy needs to fling himself into a hurling ball of fire. That has to be how he dies. I, <laughs> I cannot possibly be dealing with this guy in the next series. I've got too much on my plate already. He just kills himself. <laughs> the end. <laughs> God, yeah, exactly. I, but yeah, it was resolving very little, having a lot of just kind of like nonsense piled onto it. Mm -hmm. blood of olympus it's pretty low for me right now in my sort of reckoning 
Yeah, I think I, so much of Blood of Olympus, even like good stuff, is stuff that you read and like, oh, that would have been a good idea for like a whole series. Like Reina's character art kind of feels all crammed in at the end, and like we were saying this even last week about um, Nico and Hazel talking when they have that discussion about like second lives and chances at life, and they were like, oh, this would have been like an interesting like basis for their dynamic to be built on. Shame they never spoke, even in the book where they were around each other all the time. Yep. And even in the book called House of Hades. Oh, yeah. Ah. Well, I think for me, number three is going to be... I think it's going to be The Lost Hero, to be honest. Ooh, okay. I... I'm having... I think numbers one through three are a lot harder. Uh, Mm -hmm. Lost Hero was good. I... I don't think it was anything above just like, yep, this is pretty good. Like, I don't know that there were a lot of like absolutely standout moments in it. Uh, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know that there was anything especially impactful in the way that the other books have like hugely impactful moments. I think uh, it was fine. The ending was a little bit like, all right, everyone's fighting the giant now. It's okay. Uh, I One of the things I did like, like the mystery of Jason's character was good. Um, mm-hmm. Just the general like relationship between Piper, Leo and uh, Jason all-, all around, I think really, really worked. Required did a great job of just like establishing this, this friend group and sort of seeing yeah, how they evolved as they under uncovered more and more mysteries about each other. It is weird to me whenever I like poke my head into the camp half blood subreddit, I feel like I always see people like bashing lost hero for not having Percy in it when like, the new characters who were introduced in that were easily the strongest part of it. Definitely, yeah. What, what do you? Would you put it at number three too, or do you think you would put something else at number three? I I think for me, number three is gonna be House of Hades. Really? Okay. Yeah, I think I don't know. I, House of Hades, I feel like just has not left a lot of an impact on me. It really kind of just feels like a prologue to Blood of Olympus, and that maybe is even why it's been dragged down a little bit in my estimation. Is just like. It's so tied into Blood of Olympus, and Blood of Olympus kind of falls on its face that, like, even though there were bits that I like in House of Hades, in retrospect, it's kind of difficult to excavate those. It's like, it, it has the same problem where it feels like a lot of stuff is rushed. Like, Hazel's entire magician arc feels kind of kind of tacked on. Uh, pretty much everything with the Argo crew, actually, there's not a lot of development for them. Although I guess I guess there is like there is at least like the stuff with uh, Nico and Jason's relationship that I do like. Yeah. And the 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 Percy and Annabeth stuff when they're in Tartarus, that stuff's good. That's the strongest bits. I mm-hmm. I, I I see what you're saying. I think I my estimation of heroes what my estimation of a House of Hades was a bit higher because I think of those like elements. But yeah, yeah, yeah. thinking back, every time I think about Hazel in the series, I get mad. To be honest. Hazel deserved better. <laughs> Hazel deserves so much fucking better. Oh man! I, I also, mm-hmm. as much as I like those bits in Tartarus, I will will never quite be over the fact that like an excellent conflict was set up at the end of Mark of Athena for like Percy and Annabeth to have about like their perspectives on the gods, uh, and like the the book where the two of them are stuck together just doesn't do anything with it. No, you're right. Yeah, uh, part part. Part of why House of Hades works for, more for me, and why I think honestly I would put it at like, I hmm, no, I'll I'll save my my thoughts on that. I I can see why <laughs> you would put it at number three though. I I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What about for number two? Uh, number two for me, uh, Lost Hero. 
Yeah, it's the slots in comfortably here. I think it's just like it it benefits a lot from being like the first in the series, and therefore like even though it a lot of its tropes get like repeated throughout the series, like the whole like road trip thing and the like the big giant fight at the end, they weren't as tiresome in Lost Hero. Yeah, no, I agree. I I think Lost Hero is just very strong, like in those respects. Uh, I I this is where I would put House of Hades. Actually, we've we've swapped a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I don't think there's a there's a huge amount of space between them in terms of quality. Yeah, they're they're pretty similar, I think. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, Lost Hero was so like back to basics in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. That was just like really fun, and the moments that it did cross over with like, like when we see Thalia uh, in Lost Hero. Yeah. Uh, that was really good. Um, I, I, I'm looking through my notes again. I'm seeing notes that make me happy, like uh, uh, <laughs> King Midas's golden cock. <laughs> yeah, that that's that's another thing that like Lost Hero had going for it, and that very much you know, Son of Neptune had this as well. But gestures at everything else with Son of Neptune is that like it kind of had access to a, a different kind of mythological encounter, where it's not just here are some scary things from mythology that we're going to throw at you. It's here are some mythological figures who we can actually like talk to and have a conversation with and like do a loose reenactment of their myth before killing them and moving on. Yeah, I think introducing this idea that like we're bringing back all the fucked up mortals from Greek myths. <laughs> that was a really good idea and one that I wish Rick Riordan had actually stuck with. I can't I don't remember actually. Is was the doors of death being closed in Son of Neptune why that stopped happening? And then um, House of Hades was to stop the monsters coming back? It might have been the Doors of Death thing, yeah. Uh, I, would, I would have swapped those around personally. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> I, I think when it comes to House of Hades, the reason I hold it in a bit more esteem is just because of how like mythological it really gets at times in a way that the series often mm. doesn't. Uh, yeah, yeah. It really makes Tartarus feel so distinct. And I think that like... The Tartarus sections rule. Yeah, it, the bits with like... um. Oh Christ! What was his name? Uh, the the giant that was stuck in Tartarus and just like dueling the same uh, dueling the same dragon every day. Fuck! I don't remember his name either. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, which maybe maybe that's a sign of something. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, that that and like Bob, Bob has like one of the best character arcs in the entire series. I think. I did like seeing Bob again. He, his, it's so funny how important the side stories ended up being. Yeah, yeah, God, him, D- Domison, Domison. Uh, that was it. Him and Domison's like interaction in the cabin is one of my favorite scenes. I think in all of like the se- like the franchise as a whole mm. so far. I yeah, definitely. But yeah, it, it's held back a bit because like, who cares about so much of the stuff that's happening here? This is yeah. Is, is this the book where uh? Also, is this the book where Frank gets fucking transformed? Yes, I think that is this one. That was just, that was a strange, a combination of like incredibly strange uh, stuff happening while also being very like, this is very effective insofar as how how it's depicting Frank's reaction to it, you know? Mm -hmm. But again, that feels like an element that just kind of got dropped. Absolutely. Yeah. I, it seems like we have the same number one though. Uh, yeah, Mark of Athena, easy. <laughs> Mark of Athena was a great book. Like, that's one of, the, one of the few that I feel like the middle bits really did matter. It wasn't just pissing around between the beginning and the end. Yeah, 
that that's a book where like I think because it's here's something I want to say about the format. I think because Annabeth, it was always it wasn't returning to like a rotating cast. It wasn't splitting between like half the time we get one of these people and half the time we get mm-hmm. Rain and Nico or Hedge. We didn't we never got Coach Hedge's perspective. Actually, it's a failure of the series as a whole. But uh, <laughs> like because it was always coming back to Annabeth, it really felt like a strong um, just spine, I guess, for the book to like stand up with. Yeah, no, definitely. It, it, looking back on the book, it feels like the Annabeth book where Annabeth gets to be the protagonist. Like she, she's kind of the one who is driving the story forward and is like very clearly the leader. Absolutely, and even without that, though, as the book that ha- is like the first one where all the crew is together, this is where we're getting the most like how do these weird like how do these weird dynamics form? How do all these interactions mm-hmm. take place? You know. Yeah, like, definitely because of that I th- we get we get the beginning of like percy and jason's like weird bromance yes uh we, we get... get the continuation of uh fucking hazel and frank's rancid romance oh my god oh this is we have to <laughs> give this a fucking dark mark for how it does the uh just the starts the fucking love triangle shit <laughs> god I think also, like, in a series where we spend a lot of time complaining about how the final battles are kind of shit, Mark uh-huh. and Athena has, an, has, like, two absolutely awesome final battles. Yes. It has, like, the, the confrontation between Percy and Jason and the, like, uh, the Dionysus giants, which is just so fucking good and is such a good, like, encapsulation of, like, every problem that Percy has with the gods. And we also have, like, the entire book building up to the confrontation between Annabeth and Arachne. And I think... It's so much stronger for it being Arachne at the end because Arachne mm. isn't like the world's most powerful giant or like the entire embodiment of the underworld or whatever. It's not any of that, but it is like it's so Rick Riordan understands the most here that like, OK, we need some very personal stakes, right? Yeah, she feels like a villain who is personally tailored to be like Annabeth's foil. That, and that's been built up since fucking Lightning Thief in a really good way. Yeah, the, her arachnophobia is, like, mentioned there. It's great. Yeah, I, I really... Oh, and the way that, it like, Percy and Annabeth fall down, and then we get the last chapter of, like, Leo and, like, the whole crew reacting to them possibly being dead. One of my favorite, like... like one of my favorite ending switches in the entire series. Yeah, it's like... It... As much as we complained about the format, breaking it, waiting to break it until that point hits. That like that's a great moment. Ah, oh, God, yeah, man. This series was a bit, but it had so many good. It had so many like moments where Rick Riordan like made a technical decision that really paid off. It's like it's it's not mid. It was a flat line all the way through. It's mid. There was some good shit in here, unfortunately. <laughs> It's got its ups and downs in a way that makes it really interesting to talk about, I think. Yeah, definitely. Thank God. Yeah, this is not a Kane Chronicle situation. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that that's our rankings. I, I think we've actually got pretty similar ones this time. A, a lot more similar than we did the Percy Jackson ones, for sure. Yeah, I think, like, the... Uh, yeah, our, our list on Percy Jackson, if I recall correctly, were wildly different. <laughs> so that's that's it for book rankings. Do we want... Hmm. We should talk about themes, characters, and facts. Themes, characters, and facts, I think. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Should we, to start with, should we circle back to Camp Jupiter? I want to talk about the introduction of Camp Jupiter for sure. 
I think that Rick Riordan introduced this location really successfully, made us want to see more of it, and then never went through on that in a way that really kind gave of gave us nothing. Yeah. It's, yes, Rick, give us nothing. He was <laughs> he was dangling Camp Jupiter off to the side like a fucking tantalizing bit of meat. It was this really honestly pretty good bit of world building that we just mm. never got to explore. I uh, yeah, it's t- fucking Camp Jupiter appears more in the book before it's introduced than it does in some of the later books. Like mm-hmm. we we see the entrance to it briefly in Lost Hero, and that is more than we see of it from like House of Hades onwards. And that's sad. Yeah. I, w- I wonder how much of it was just, like, the more you think about it, the more Camp Jupiter seems like a fucking horrible place to live. It's just, like, this little tin pot military dictatorship run by child soldiers. Rick Riordan just didn't want to dwell on that idea. <laughs> Which is fair enough, but maybe don't write it in the first place. Uh-huh. Or at least lean into it. Like, talk about how it's so fucked yeah. up, right? Yeah, but I guess you can't really do that because you want the kids to be able to reconcile at the end of the series and then you can have people doing their you know doing their their podcast about the series where the one person is in a camp Alpha t-shirt in the cover and the other person is in a camp jupiter t-shirt i was just gonna say yeah if if, <laughs> if they had just straight up leaned into like yes we were part of the confederacy uh that it would be a lot different my lord i i want to talk also about though like Here's a question I have for you. Do you think the introduction of Camp Jupiter flattened Camp Half-Blood? Yes, I think it did. I think we we, we talked about how this, like, shakes out in the the final battle, where, like, Camp Half-Blood kind of ends up being kind of almost flanderized a bit into, like, it's only uh, wandering Greek mythological heroes now, whereas before it kind of had a bit more to it than that. Yeah, I... A lot of the elements of Camp Half-Blood, for instance, it being heavily militarized, um, it, <laughs> it, it's like weird structures, the sort of uh, strange hierarchies and like uh, just like weird bureaucracy things. A lot of those yeah. got ignored, I think, because those were now present in Camp Jupiter. Yeah, those are kind of those were kind of taken away from Camp Half-Blood to try and differentiate them by giving them to Camp Jupiter instead. And I'm of two minds. One, I think that, like, you've read all five books if you're already of, of Percy Jackson and the Olympians, most likely if you're reading Heroes of Olympus. You'd hope so. Probably. The ideal reader or whatever, you know, like the, the ideal mm. Riordan reader. The, probably the target is has already read all of these, I mean to say. Yeah. So we already know what Camp Half-Blood is. So we don't necessarily need to go into all those details again. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I think like Jason, Leo, and Piper's experience there could have gone more into than like than kind of the surface level stuff that happened in the Lost Hero. It's it's entirely like siloed into a comedy side story in Quest for Buford. That too, yeah. <laughs> I liked Quest for Buford. You know, I actually think that those side stories were some of the most fun that I had in the series. Uh, yeah, definitely. Th- also, always going to be thinking about how fucked up Apollo is because of that series. Because of Diary those- of Luke Castellan has convinced me that you know maybe maybe 
critical support for Luke Castellan. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> so I I don't think that necessarily makes it bad that Camp Jupiter was introduced or anything. I really do think that like a lot of the sort of split between the gods, the uh, I, I wish that we'd gone more into just like, what does it mean for these to be different aspects of these gods, right? Like, yeah. Some of the better moments were like, we highlighted like Dionysus versus um Bacchus. Like Dionysus, oh, we say it every episode, of course. Um, <laughs> like Dionysus versus Bacchus was a big one that I think like really stood out as like one of the very, very good, like very successful. These are two different characters, right? Mm hmm. And there was there was a bit of that with uh, like Mars and Ares as well. Yeah. Where like Ares is just this like motorcycle riding machete wielding psychopath and Mars is like uh, a shitty military dad who shows up to his son's soccer games and like shouts at him to do better and like argues with the referee. Yeah. So that I think that concept really shines in those moments, but it never goes far enough as like it never goes far enough and it never fully leans into like what is the stru- how is the structure different how like what does it mean for these gods and like what how like what does it really mean that the, these like they interacted with culture in this way i wish it had hey uh-huh hey hey you know what was the only book that really like dived into that what was that mark of athena that's right <laughs> that, that, I mean, that was the bacchus one right that was the Bacchus one, and it was also, like, the thrust of, like, you know, the whole Mark of Athena quest was about how disrespected Athena was when she was brought over into the Roman pantheon. That's true. That's really true. Yeah, I think that is part of what makes that book so strong. And I really, really wish we'd gotten more of the, like, uh, more of the idea of, like, hey, are the gods forming new aspects as they are living in the modern day? Like, that was suggested sometimes. We talked about it a yeah. little bit. I think that could have made for some really interesting fodder, especially at the end. Yeah, definitely. I think, I don't know, I wonder if it's maybe just a question of, like, you can't really go down that route because it starts, at least for the situation we were talking about in, uh, I think it was Mark of Athena. Oh, if, if Roman culture, TM, is supposed to, like, form a distinct aspect of each gods, shouldn't there be, like, a camp Holy Roman Empire sitting somewhere in the middle of the United States, you know? Right, right. Whereas, like... If, if you want to have that, like, the split between the two sides, you can't really, like, make the idea more complex than that. I think that'd be a really fun introduction for Trials of Apollo. <laughs> Apollo just stumbles upon seven guys who are living in, like, fucking Ohio. We're like, yeah, we're, we're the Holy Roman Empire camp. <laughs> and we all hate each other. God. Oh, that'd be really good, actually. I, I want that to happen now. <laughs> I honestly I can kind of I could possibly see required in doing that honestly I hope that happens <laughs> um I don't know I, mm-hmm. and like I mean I know this wasn't ever something that Rick was really gonna do but like a lot of Camp Jupiter is like very uncritical of Rome or very yeah. uncritical of like this pop culture idea of Rome I should say yes of like strong disciplined warriors and out there defending civilization, etc., which is like that's something he's always had a problem with, but it's really like thrown into sharper relief with the Romans. Because the most critique we get is like with Octavian's character, right? Mm-hmm. And some of the aspects of Octavian are that he is like he's 
a warmonger, but he himself will not like get into the trenches, right? Uh, yeah. He will encourage the fighting, but he's not strong enough to get in there and really bloody his nose a bit. And I mean, what mm-hmm. for me, what ultimately like kills Octavian as like any kind of like criticism of Rome is the fact that like in Blood of Olympus, it's revealed that like oh no, he was just like getting getting whispered in his ear by Gaia, and that's why he did all the shit he did. Yeah, which could have worked, but if Gaia had been a more developed antagonist. Uh, <laughs> fuck hey isn't it isn't it uh fucked up how we've gotten through like this much of talking about the entire series without even mentioning her gaia was set up to be so awesome i think gaia could have been there, there's some good gaia moments early on gaia could have been one of the cooler antagonists she when it comes to the scale chronos on one end and fucking apophis on the other <laughs> i i have to place her more on the apophis side yeah, definitely. Because I think, like, she, she, it's amazing that she ended up lacking a personal, like, relationship with, like, the heroes at the end, especially Leo. Where, like, Leo obviously is making the fight personal and he's talking about his mother in that last confrontation, but Gaia never is, like, throwing all, like, their weaknesses back in their faces, all the, like, stuff that she knows about them, like, all the weird secrets the pipe has kept, or, like, killing uh, Leo's mother, or, like, needling with jason the fact that like the gods ripped him away from his mother and the just i don't know the fucked thing is she's doing that throughout the first two books uh-huh <laughs> she does all of that throughout or maybe in the first three books i don't i'm still not really sure exactly where it stops but it's definitely somewhere i don't th- think uh-huh. i i think that it is like it stops once the heroes are on the Argo because they're not on the ground anymore and therefore yeah. like, Gaia can't influence them. And yeah. I, that, on the one hand, that makes sense. On the other hand, I would say write an excuse for why that doesn't work, please. Make it so when they're on the ground, that is happening to them constantly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that she should have done all that because that is the type of villain that it seemed like she was going to be. But instead, because we got such a rushed final battle, it... Like, okay, we just need to have them fight her and uh, win. And we need that to happen yeah. in, like, a chapter. God, it was a chapter. That's... Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, technically Ugh. two chapters, because, like, Leo goes in for the kill, and then the next chapter, like, pulls back a bit in time to, like, Nico firing Octavian at her. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah, it, still, it t- yeah two chapters is, like, what are we doing here? <laughs> This is a common problem for Rick Riordan, though, I think. Mm-hmm. He... Rushed endings are kind of his forte. This luckily didn't happen with Kronos, but I think book by book it often happens with individual uh, antagonists. Like, of, of, I of think a sing- uh-huh. Last Olympian benefits from being, like, the book in the series that breaks the format and is basically, like, the back two-thirds of that are just a finale to the entire series. Yeah. And that's kind of what I wished had been done for Blood of Olympus. Even Kane Chronicles could honestly do this a bit better. Like, mm-hmm. at least those chap those fights with Apophis lasted for like, <laughs> we could talk about them for a full episode, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the giants didn't do a lot to help her as like an antagonist, to be honest. Again, there is one book with really good giant antagonists, and it's the best one. And the rest of them are all kind of awful. Yeah, it. I feel like we're veering towards something. Do we want to talk character award? Do we want to talk awards? Let's hand out some awards. Uh, 
award for best giant. Uh, I think it will it will have to be a joint a joint award to uh, the ones whose names I don't remember from Mark of Athena. <laughs> that's not even particularly knocking us. I don't remember any of their names. Uh, I remember Domison, and that's because I looked at my notes a few seconds ago. <laughs> Otis and Aphialtes, right? That's it. Uh, yeah, I think I would I would give the same award with with a special nod toward Domison. Mm-hmm. And I think. Uh-huh. Damason is a cool character concept that not a lot ends up being done with. Yeah, exactly. Maybe maybe we'll change our tune in Son of the Star. Maybe so, yeah. A special shout-outs, I guess, also to Orion. Orion had a pretty badass introduction. Yeah, he, he I think he worked as like the character that Rick Riordan was trying to make him into. That mm-hmm. worked decently. Nah, but otherwise, I yeah, I'm gonna give it to Otis and the Fealties for having a really funny concept, uh, and also making Jason and Percy just like beings. One of the motivating factors for them to start questioning, like, what the fuck are we doing with the gods, right? Yeah, definitely. And I also, I think what's done with them and weirdly is not for a lot of the other giants is that like they have a presence throughout the book in Percy's dreams. Yeah. Like, we see so much of them, like, planning and, like, tormenting Nico and talking about, like, stuff that's going to happen in the other books, uh, which I think we, you know, we see giants in dreams with other characters, but, like, those, they're so, like, generic evil guy that it really doesn't land in the way that, like, these two wacky idiots do. I, I think that there's a little bit of that in the first two books, again, to go back to that. Uh, I think because they're all just constantly being played by dreams, right? Mm. Uh, and like because Piper, oh, yeah, I guess Piper be- sees a lot of Enceladus. Yeah. On the other hand, I don't think there is well character. I think Enceladus and fucking Porphyrion, Polybides, Alcyonius—they all really blend together. They, yeah, they, there is nothing between them personality-wise. Alcyonius is like easily the worst giant in the series. I think. God, it it sucks because the, I think that could have been a really fun concept. The way no. that he is introduced is so fucking cool. Like, the fact that, like, Hazel, like, rips him out of the ground and then, like, drowns in petrol is, like... That should go much harder than... Uh, he's a complete dipshit who lives, like, half a mile away from the one thing that can kill him, which is the Canadian border. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God, that's really... I-, I remembered that ending being so badass, and it simply was not. <laughs> Oh, this is interesting. I'm finding out that there, it looks like there is official, like, there, there's official art of all the giants fighting uh, in the end of Blood of Olympus. Oh. Let me see. I'll, I'll send you some of these. Give me just a moment. Oh, hey, wait a second. One of these has Alcyonius fighting, ha- fighting Hazel and Hades side by side. Man, that would have been cool. Wait, how would they have even gotten rid of him? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they, like, they knock him out and they, like, strap him to the underside of Viago, and when Zeus spikes them back, they just kind of leave him on there and the ruins of Viago crash in Canada and he explodes. I... <laughs> wait, no, wait, he's he's outside of Alaska. They can just, they don't even need a god to kill him. Oh, you're right, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> they just uh, stab him and he dies. This art makes Otis and Aphialtes a lot more of, like, a lot sexier, I guess. They're not They're not sexy, but they're, like, they're, like... Not even... I don't know. They have like the they have like long hair and quiffed mustaches. It's fascinating. This is not what I imagine them to look like at all. No, this is no. I I don't know. I don't remember how they were described, but I definitely imagine them as both like balding. God, yeah. They they are pin and teller <laughs> to me. 
In my mind's eye, I pitched them as like giant versions of Tingle from Zelda. <laughs> That's pretty good, actually. <laughs> Why is Aphrodite just an angel in that one? I don't know. She's got I mean, a I guess Halo and everything. That is literally what she was doing. She was literally floating on a cloud, sprinkling stuff in uh, Paraboya's eyes. But I guess so. Here, here's one. Best God. Who is the best God? Best God. Mm. It's a bit more difficult. I'm not 100% sure it is. I think Bacchus slash Dionysus sweeps the category again. <laughs> I I think you might be right. Hmm. Give me your argument. Give me your argument. My argument is just, you know, the, you as usual, when he's around, he's great. And I really wish we got more of him in this series, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, but like, I think the, the way he plays into the final battle in Mark of Athena, like him doing the fucking deus ex machina entrance into the battle... Uh, and then refusing to help before, like, coming in and stealing the kill at the end, basically. And, like, again, being the catalyst for Jason and Percy's, like, real fucking crisis moment about the gods. is It's so good. I don't think any of the other gods do anything that memorable. I, I want to give a... I, I want to at least name a few other potential candidates. I think Nemesis was really good. Uh, I She'd been cool if she ever came back. yeah. She still might, I guess, but... I guess. Pluto, I think, was really successful again as one of the, uh, like, examples of, like, what makes the... What is the difference between Pluto and Hades, and how does that, like, affect, like, Hazel versus Nico existing? I, you know, I'm not I'm not sure that Pluto really, like, played into that concept as much, where, like, he's, you know, he's supposed to be about precious gems and shit. But, like, when we see him as Pluto in this series, he's still got the fucking, like, suit made out of people's souls on. Yeah, I, I, there were differences, I think, but they were subtler. I, I think this is actually mm-hmm. like an example of like, I think they were a bit subtler and that to me did end up, that wor- worked a little bit. I, I actually, I think I know the one that I do want to maybe give, uh, I, I think I agree with you about Bacchus, but I want to give the argument for Cupid. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's that's cool. Cupid feels- Give me with the argument. Cupid feels like one of the most like- um godly gods that we see i guess uh i think Mm. that just the concept of this like he is a living force that like exists through the breath and like the murmurs of voices around you he is like he is the embodiment of like like desire in this way that really comes off like excellently i think and he ends up like feeling very um like one of the instances of a god who is very uncaring but also like lives to enact their aspect in how he handles Nico, right? It's kind of insane how like yeah, now that you mention it and put it like that, he kind of executes on the concept of how the gods were supposed to work in Cain Chronicles better than Cain Chronicles did. Where yeah, they were supposed to be like more elementary primal forces of nature. No, you're definitely right. Mars also, we already talked about Mars, but I think he was just kind of he was he was fun. I, I had fun with Mars. Mars would would have been. I think Mars would take this spot if I had been right about him just pretending not to know Percy because he was embarrassed about getting his ass kicked in Son of Neptune. Uh huh. <laughs> I would have given it the spot for that. Uh so I I guess who should we hand the award to Bacchus? I think so, and a and a cold Pepsi. That and a Pepsi. Biggest loser god award for the biggest fucked up loser god. Hmm. I. I... In terms of, like, just gods who are losers at the end of this, it's got to be Apollo, right? 
I, mm, I absolute no, I, poor little meow meow. By the end of this, I have a different answer. It is Hercules. <laughs> oh no, you're right. I forgot. He's he's so such a poor little meow meow. That I forgot that he was a god. <laughs> he's a he's such a piece of shit. He's wearing like a bath. He's not wearing a bathrobe, but he's wearing like a. T- <laughs> he's just around like trying to live in his glory, but he's trapped on a fucking island. He gets buried in turkey and pineapples and (laughs) he's such a loser that i that like it's so funny that they introduced hercules in this way you know it's it's one of the it's one of the best another great thing about mark of athena is the because hercules has kind of been is kind of a uh gets the treatment that like theseus got in um uh titan's curse where he'd been kind of built up the whole series is like, oh yeah, the kids really like him. He's kind of a famous, well-known Greek hero. And then they meet him and he's just this massive piece of shit. Yeah. I, th- I love the bit where he uh, like is just like, oh yeah, I'll just send you to like go and do my shopping for me as a quest. I'll give you something easy. Don't worry about it. And then someone lets slip that they're there from Hera and like he just instantly goes into like godly rage mode. It's like, oh, this guy sucks so much. Hercules I is the one I want to give it to because like I Percy absolutely like demolishing him in the neck like not even meeting him but just being like oh yeah Hercules that guy like in the na- immediately afterwards <laughs> is so funny to me I I think Percy could have taken him to be honest he, I think so too he serves as another initiator for one of the recurring themes in one of the recurring themes in Heroes of Olympus which is misogyny uh-huh. Yeah, that you know that you mentioned it, yeah, that is kind of where that starts cropping up. Like it, it's big with Hercules and with um the fucking river god and it's big the, the, with the incel river god. Yeah, the incel river god and then we follow up on that with Orion. Mhm. And like uh it's kind of it factors into like uh the the ending with Gaia where Piper is like aren't you so sad that you were domestically abused? Go to sleep. Yeah, it joining the battle against misogyny by using misogyny to win i guess <laughs> interesting stuff here what i know really uh, gets me off to sleep is uh being reminded of past traumas <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> i would like to suggest an award please go ahead please uh who who is the hero of olympus that's a good one that's a really good one <laughs> a really come on we can't not give this to leo right it has to be Leo. <laughs> Leo is the star of the series. He's easily like the best new character who was introduced, I think. It's a competition. I think that like, I think Piper's almost there. I think that like, uh, Frank could almost be there. You know, you could even make the argument for Annabeth, I think. At the same time, just out of the out of the seven, Leo consistently has like I think his arc with um just like his emotions and his like his friendship with Piper and Jason, the way that he eventually like evolves as a person because of Calypso, and I think he is just one of the best executed upon characters in the entire series. Yeah, I think, like, consistency really is, like, the key to why, like, Leo is maybe the best one in the series, because, like, Annabeth is fucking great, but, like, she only really has, like, one standout book, and that's Mark of Athena, and she's kind of in the background for a lot of the others, and the other characters have, like, you know, they have, like, good concepts and some good moments, but a lot of the time it is, like, 
fumbled or like not executed on or just kind of the ideas are left on the table it could have been really interesting for them and i think like a little bit of that does happen with leo but he mostly gets out unscathed throughout like the four books that he's in yeah i think what is it about leo that makes it so rick riordan feels like he can consistently come back to him every book and do something interesting i is it that he's the funny one is he the most like percy i think i think it is a a, a lot of it is like leo being the funny one because like I, I think even Percy and Leo like observe that they both kind of in in their own different ways they are kind of the funny guy of the group, and I think that is just like a character archetype that like Rick Ryden feels very comfortable in. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is what Tres Navarre is as well. He is like always got like a, a glib remark for whatever fucked up situation he's in. This is just like the mode that Rick likes. I know that we talk about Tres Navarre as like the proto Percy. Is there an argument to me mm-hmm. that he's more of a proto Leo? Hmm. I think yeah. I think maybe like in terms of like the way that his personal arc plays out, less so his mannerisms. Yeah. Where like Trez is kind of he is this kind of isolated and disaffected person who kind of uses humor to deflect people from making connections with him, which is kind of Leo's whole thing, and that we see that kind of being chipped away at throughout the books. Yeah. Listeners, if you would like to listen to us discuss the Trez Navarre novels by Rick Ride, and uh, sign up at Patreon.com/slash/OnWiseGirls at three dollar tier or above. I, you know, there are other aspects of him, like his his penchant for certain colored food, uh, and <laughs> that that stand out as more Percy. But yeah, that's that's interesting to think about. I I do, and I think that Leo is always used like Rick Riordan knows how to deploy a Leo chapter. I think yes, whether it's to cut the tension to really like uh like set up like okay we need to look at this we need to like we've had a lot of really serious stuff now we need to sort of step back and think like get get a bit of funny in here or like we need to build up suspense or in the case of mark of athena we need somebody who can like have everything put on their shoulders we need somebody who can like step back and look at everything that's happening in a real way uh and leo mm-hmm. ends up being that character like at the end of mark of athena yeah yeah him coming back to Calypso again, one of my one of my favorite. Tra- Calypso always a standout star, but cal- him coming back there, <laughs> him meeting her is one of my favorite bits from the series. I think. Yeah, definitely that that bit's really good, and I I like how again kind of highlighting the like similarities but also d- differences between him and Percy is like they they get put in the same situation. It plays out in a very different way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Jacqueline, who do you think who do you think is the zero of Olympus? The zero of Olympus. Okay, do we do we want to <laughs> limit this to just the the seven? I think so, unless there's, unless it's like another big main character. Okay, I I think. See, I was gonna ask who you thought the most underserved character was. I, I'll I'll change that, but I think this is, this is kind of the same award a little bit. I think I think this is more just like what who was a shit character. <laughs> See, I don't know that there were any shit characters among the the seven. Uh, or no, I think that's true. I. Or I guess least good. Least good. Which I guess you're right, does kind of cross over with underserved. I th- I, I'm i trying to say this because I, I don't want to say that I think Hazel's a shit character. <laughs> <laughs> I think that yeah. upon her introduction, and I think there's a lot of amazing character work done with Hazel in uh, The Sun of Neptune. That's one of its strengths. Um, like some of the, the fucking flashbacks to Alaska in Son of Neptune are some of the standout chapters of that book. Yeah, there's some of the standouts of the series, honestly. Like Yeah. That that is the moment where Son of Neptune really shines and it's 
Hazel being so good throughout most of that book is part of why we really hated the ending. Um, yeah. <laughs> because it just entirely cut off getting to like her getting to resolve her own arc at the knees. And mm-hmm. sort of from there, Rick Riordan didn't seem to know what to do with her anymore. Yeah. Guess she's a magician now for a bit. That'll come up like for three lines in the final book. That, and it worked while we were in it in uh, House of Hades. Like, I think that we were like, oh, this is an interesting direction for Hazel's character to go. Like, oh, her her confrontations, you know, where she uses the mist. They feel like, you know, good extensions of her character and sort of where she could be going. Mm-hmm. But it does feel like, all right, I did the character arc with it. I, I did the character already. How do I add like a second arc in the middle of the series? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would. Do you agree, or do you think you give the award to someone else? Uh, let me have a think. I think Jason. Jason is kind of mid, but like I think he gets an okay resolution, so I'm not going to knock him too much. Uh I, I, I think it's a bad sign that I am like kind of bouncing between like Hazel, Frank, and Piper for like most underserved characters. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, I think I think just just to kind of be different from you, I'm gonna go with Piper. I want to hear the argument. I, I I'm interested. I because I was not thinking Piper at all, but I would love to hear why you think so. I genuinely, it's 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 almost difficult to talk about because like my main problem with Piper is that so little of the stuff with her like stands out in my mind. Uh huh. Like it, I think she's a really good character in Lost Hero. I like. I really love the the way that her like secret keeping is portrayed, where she is like even when it's very obvious that something is wrong and like her friends have figured it out, like she won't talk to them about it. Like, I think that's just a really good depiction of like how twisted up you can get about that kind of shit where you were just like so in denial about it. Yeah. And that, you know, that's, that's done really well. But beyond that, I just feel like she spent a lot of the series kind of fretting about her relationship with Jason, which like we don't see a lot from Jason's end. So it doesn't feel like a really like fleshed out character relationship. Uh, and like, uh, I don't know. It just feels like she doesn't get a lot to do. <laughs> Apart from her friendship with Hazel, which is mostly off screen. Yeah, I think I agree. Yeah, I... Piper Piper and Hazel, they're they're holding hands, they're shaking hands. They, they got to, like, really shine in their first book and then ended up floundering for the rest of the series. Yeah. The... Yeah, that's really true. I think Piper's a little bit better off, honestly. She gets to, like... She gets to do mostly because Hazel doesn't have a repeatable arc and Piper does. So Rick Riordan does it like three times. Yeah, that's that's very true. And I think there's also the element of like Piper at least has like we don't see a lot of it, but there is it's at least there. Like her relationship with Annabeth is sweet. Like I like that. I like that they are kind of just like friends who like hanging out. I like seeing that in fiction. (laughs) Two people who like hanging out. Yeah. Piper gets the relationships. Hazel doesn't. I think that's the difference. Yeah. And Piper gets the moment where she, like, she gets the bit in, I don't remember what book it was, but there's a book where it's, like, she has another secret and she just immediately tells everyone and that, like, that kind of just shows her progression. I think that was Mark of Athena. Yeah. That that shows her progression in a really good way. I, Mm -hmm. man, I hope that more is done with Piper in Trials of Apollo, though. And Hazel. I do think it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny that, like, a, a... a theme of the series kind of tried to be like combat misogyny <laughs> and then like when 
We're arguing over which of the two female characters was the most poorly treated by the writing. Yeah, absolutely. Here, Here's a special little award I thought of. Uh, uh-huh. The most invisible character. Character who should have showed up but didn't. Thalia. <laughs> Thalia, yeah. <laughs> Her fucking secret long-lost brother is introduced and they talk like twice. I don't think there's an argument. I know for I say any- this like every other week, but I, yeah, I don't think there's an argument for any other character. I think it it is just Thalia. Like it's <laughs> insane that she was never like she was in there for like half of a book in total, maybe. Not even she shows up like a few chapters in Lost Hero and a couple in Blood of Olympus, and that's it. And it sucks because Thalia was such a good character in PJO. Yeah. Oh, that's that. Like, this is one of the kids of the big three, and she's just like shoved into the background. And it's not like it feels like her. There's a little bit of. Hmm. I think that there is a little bit done to make it feel like Thalia's already won, right? Like she is a character who doesn't mm-hmm. need to be here anymore because she's already had her thing. She's like, she successfully graduated to the hunters, but she is being brought back into the conflict again and again still, and. Yeah, I, I mean, it, I want. I wonder how much of it is like just Rick Ryan wanted the bombshell of like uh, Jason being a child of Jupiter slash Zeus, and the only way to really like uh, kind of slot that in without it like seeming incredibly contrived was to like say that he was a member of Thalia's family and didn't really plan for them to have much of a relationship beyond. Maybe, and yet I think what he does make happen with that relationship, or like by sort of differentiating them and talking about how like the differences and they were raised were really successful when they came up. Mm-hmm. We, we just should have seen more of Thalia's side of it. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's sad to be Thalia. You get the most uh, invisible. You, you, know, you get the should have shown up award. You know, fucking, you know what? I feel like, Upon Thalia learning that, like, oh, her baby brother didn't die when she was young. The Olympians had just, like, made, like, a backroom deal that led to him being kidnapped uh, and just never told her about any of it. I think, like, we should have seen her maybe uh, reconsider a decision she made in Titan's Curse to not destroy Olympus. And maybe, uh, (laughs) maybe give that some more thought again because of the absolutely fucked up thing that she just found out that they did to her on top of everything else. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, Lord. I mean, if there's one recurring theme in this series, it's that you can't go too far with how you're changing things, right? Uh-huh. Do you have, like, a favorite, like, antagonist, like, favorite, like, a uh, minor antagonist who showed up or anything? Exactly what I was about to ask. Just, like, favorite villain of any degree who showed up at any point. Uh, hmm. It's hard. I That's really hard. I... Hmm. The highwayman with the stinky feet, maybe. Maybe the stinky feet man. Maybe the. <laughs> I really liked uh, the newscaster wind god. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was. I think that was pretty good. Uh, and then they stopped mostly being interesting. I guess Hercules is one. I guess so. He was fun. Yeah, the incel was okay too. Hmm. Oh, Aeolus is the one I was thinking of. I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't. That might be it. <laughs> I oh I like I liked Phineas Phineas yeah Phineas was good Phineas for like listeners who may not remember Phineas from Son of Neptune the guy that Percy tricks into killing himself see we joke constantly about that but that was a really great Percy bit um and I yeah I think that is 
that sort of showing like how far Percy's willing to go really does like stand out to me like make him stand out more i will always appreciate him for being the catalyst for percy doing a fucking princess bride poison vial bit <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely uh i'll, I'll give it to phineas sure why not <laughs> there's not a lot of other options no yeah uh i think that might be it for awards though i think so i can't think of anything else <laughs> favorite favorite location favorite uh award to best setting because this was a road trip book in a lot of respects. It was a road trip book. It, it really started feeling like the locations stopped mattering in the last two. <laughs> you know, I gotta say, I feel weird giving two of these in a row to Son of Neptune, but I feel like Alaska, both in the flashbacks and also, like, when they were actually traveling through it, like, just, it had a very distinct atmosphere. Uh, and, like, it it felt very different in, in a way that was even, like, highlighted by um, Percy thinking, like, oh, well cosmologically this is like the quote-unquote edge of civilization it's like everything like feels weird and cold out here outside of it being actually cold yeah that's respectable i think that's a good choice maybe it is just alaska i was gonna say like venice maybe i think venice was pretty well defined or, or what, what was the place i maybe i shouldn't give it to whichever one this is because i'm saying the words what is this place but the, <laughs> the place where leo fought the like dwarfs Oh, I, I don't remember what city that... I think Florence, maybe? Florence, yeah, I think it was. I, I think Florence was... A lot of these sort of, like, just random cities we dived into, actually, I did think were decently well done. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, Alaska was a standout, for sure. Yeah. Well... Southern Neptune had some good bits. <laughs> definitely. Oh, man. Uh, We should talk about what... By the end of The Last Olympian, we came to the... Like we sort of understood what Percy Jackson and the Olympians as a series was about. We understood like Rick Riordan was trying to give this was write to write this story about a like a place that kids who were marginalized, who often like couldn't find a place within the traditional school system, could still like make a community and grow, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did Heroes of Olympus have as strong and consistent a theme as that? <laughs> no 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 it didn't did it? <laughs> it i don't know how much of this series is like about themes about like questioning concepts of civilization and like reforms to like systems of power and stuff and how much of that was just like rick ryden unthinkingly putting stuff that he believes in here and us thinking it was fucked and that's why we noticed it i think there is a bit of that we we've talked about you know rick ryden's sort of liberal worldview you know uh mm -hmm. he, yeah, yeah he has a pretty status quo you know capitalism is okay you know america's pretty cool like this is uh -huh. kind of what he thinks about the world he like defines uh america as like covered in like all this like imperial um like iconography and stuff and doesn't take that thought any further into like the idea of modern imperialism the most we question it uh, the, the most most we question it is when looking back at like the Civil War, right? Um, mm -hmm. We we look at like oh we were there was a a country divided or whatever you know uh, there there was some real fucked up stuff happening there you know there was slavery and all that stuff and then I think also with of uh, uh, the very brief mention of Nico being like wow that's that's a lot like what fucking Mussolini did um, <laughs> when when discussing like. Uh, when discussing, I think, Reyna's dad, was that what that was? Yeah, I think it was talking about uh, Iraq. Yeah, that's it. But yeah, I, 
speaking of like that civil war thing it's it, it kind of highlights another thing that was kind of like weird and off about the series which is like the do you remember back in lightning thief when like um like the conflict between poseidon and zeus like spilled over into the mortal world quite a lot yeah like there was there was storms there was like civil unrest caused by it and it feels like in a series that is in theory about like repeating the events that led up to the american civil war and like went on during it it feels really weird that we never see that reflected in any of the like uh mortal world stuff we again heroes of olympus the fucking camp half-blood chronicles has retreated from the idea of this being like taking place in the real world almost like it it has retreated yeah it has retreated from the idea of needing to engage with like it engages with history. It engages with like the fact that we are in locations. It does not engage with mm. the idea that there are people living in these locations. It is becoming more and more like as as like the the mythology of the series gets more and more built out. It like is kind of becoming almost like a parallel world that the characters are occupying, as opposed to one that like occupies with reality, but fucking uh, uh, interacts with reality. Definitely, and for a book, and for a series that contains a book that is trying to engage with these ideas, of, like the mist and stuff, we've we've turned away from the mist mm-hmm. being like the thing that disguises. Uh, you know, they have to carefully use it to disguise themselves as they are going through the mortal world or whatever. Uh, instead, it it's just used as like a magic trick, right? Um, it's like Frank can run around and kill like a hundred monsters in um, uh, Venice, and nobody bats an eye. Whereas you go back to Lightning Thief, and it's like. You know, Percy attacks the uh, Furies on a, a bus, and people still panic because they just think it's like a child attacking three old women with a stick. Yeah. Like, they still see something. Yes. And Rick Riordan doesn't seem to want to do any of that anymore, so instead he's turned every... He's, like... The Percy Jackson and the Olympian series was done on, like, uh, the PlayStation, so you could, like, have models of all the characters running around the town. <laughs> uh, the, he has, like... This is Heroes for, of Olympus for PSP, so all the fucking stands are, like, filled... There's, like, an audio file of, like, cheering dot, dot mp3, but there is no... But there are no actual character models cheering. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I... Yeah, I completely get it. Like... And remember when Percy was like a wanted terrorist? That was really good. And I, I'm, I'll say this is one of the things that I'm excited to talk about with uh, demigods and magicians because this is this is an element that we're actually going to talk about there. Oh, interesting. If there's like one big theme in this series, I think that I, I think there are a few. I think there's a few different ideas that Rick Riordan is playing with, and I think he mm. really has just stepped back from the idea of like we need a big theme. And more of like he's he's basically just gone into like for Heroes of Olympus like let's explore these characters mode for the most part like yeah definitely it's but one of the big ones is just healing divisions like mm-hmm. like and in a way that is very classically um how to put this annoying <laughs> you, you know what I mean it does. And I know I completely get what you mean. It smacks of like every um, like celebrity interview you would see between like 2016 and 2019, where it's like they would talk very non-specifically about Donald Trump and be like, "We got to heal the divisions in this country." You know, there's so much divisiveness going around. Uh, before you know, we we as it went on, like celebrities become more and more unhinged and racist in interviews, like more openly. 
But like it's Rick Ryan was almost ahead of the curve with this because this series ended in 2014. It it kind of horrifies me about what Trials of Apollo is going to be like. <laughs> because at, at least some of that. Oh God, who knows? At least some of that is during uh, the Trump era, right? Mm-hmm. So who the fuck knows? Um, I think actually Tyro Nero. I think that was like 2020. So I think it's like it goes the whole span Got- and then ends gotcha gotcha okay so we'll definitely we'll definitely see some some political some political references happening in, in the trials of Apollo, or maybe not maybe maybe uh. disney will cut that off before it happens <laughs> god do you think that that rick ryden has like a decent amount of power with his editor considering how popular these books are possibly i i have no idea I don't. He's not a Stephen King, right? He doesn't have just complete control over, or, you know, a, like eighties and nineties Stephen King or whatever. He doesn't have complete control over whatever he puts out in that way. But yeah, yeah. But he is a very, very, very popular and successful author. Probably one of the most on the planet. I think he is like the the most the most well known YA author who is like ex- public publicly acceptable to like. <laughs> yes, that's a that's a that's a good way to put it. <laughs> and and we get this shown most consistently through just like the the Greek versus Roman conflict, right? Yeah, I mean, the 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 whole the the way that Gaia is defeated is that they get the big statue back to Camp Half Blood, and ultimately that doesn't play like that. That is not particularly no. interesting because it's just a big magic statue that nobody nobody has ever seen before. Yeah, you know what it reminds me of mm-hmm. is I was I was watching like a a, a, vi- a YouTube video about like the history of the American Civil War. And there was like the, the the way it wraps up is talking very admiringly about how like uh, Union generals were like sick of division in the country, and so they kind of forgave uh, Confederate troops and generals and stuff, and like uh, didn't press charges for a lot of like uh, the stuff they did during the war and stuff, you know, in an effort to like kind of heal the country. And I think that's just like I feel like that's kind of the the worldview that like rick is embracing with a lot of the healing division stuff especially because it like consciously calls back to the civil war and i just think that's wrong (laughs) yeah yeah definitely like that 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 just kind of goes against my ideas of the world yeah this is how you end up with a reconstruction failing rick (laughs) this this is how you end up with fucking i don't know fucking operation paperclip or something exactly like this is a little bit Rick Riordan's fan fiction of like, what if the Civil War had gone a bit like this? Like, what? If, what? If, oh God, it is a little bit. This is him saying like, no more war. We need peace. We need all the sides to come together. And at the same time, he he neuters that from the start because there's no real like, there's not a material ideological conflict between these camps, right? No. The, the- they go to war because Camp Halfwood gets framed for attacking Camp Jupiter. Yes, exactly. And there's the only they only have a conflict that exists because there is a mythological conflict. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't know. It's not like this doesn't start because they were both trying to recruit the same kid or something who was like. You know, this doesn't start because they're fighting over resources or one of them wants something the mm. other one has. It just never has a big grounding in reality, I guess. And that kind of makes it... Maybe, uh-huh. maybe they should have been like fighting over the Athena Parthenos or something. Maybe. Because then if they're fighting over that, that kind of brings the idea of there being all this bitterness and hatred over it into the modern day. And it's like this big anti-Gaia weapon and both camps are panicking about her coming back and they kind of want the defense against it. And you can do your big like, oh, they, they come together at the end when they realize they need to form an alliance and share it. 
I don't know. I, yeah, I don't think that's a bad. I don't. I don't think that's any worse than what Rick Riordan did for sure. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> like I, it, it's <laughs> it's a little bit better, honestly. Um, I. <laughs> Fuck, I'm digging a hole. Um, I, You're all right. Don't worry I, about it. I think that, like, I don't know. There's just nothing here to it because the Romans are barely even, like, mean, right? Yeah. They're not even really... It's just Octavian. Octavian's the bad apple. That That's the big Bryce. problem. It's The fact that it's just Octavian makes it so... It defangs the entire thing. It's not like yeah. the Romans are coming for them. It's Octavian has tricked the Romans into coming for them. It, it is kind of insane that like the Romans were ca- with, like surrounding the camp and were absolutely ready to kill everyone in there. Yeah, and then they're just kind of like chilling out together at the end. Yeah, definitely. Like, there's, there's not going to be any lingering resentments over this, uh, or may- maybe over the fact that some of the camp half blood campers were killed by the army of monsters that the fucking Camp Jupiter kids brought to their doorstep. You know, I think everyone is fine with it because, you know, they're thinking about like, oh man, isn't it, it doesn't kind of suck that we're next to these guys. I mean, our friend died and they're like trying to like, wait, what was my friend's name? I, they just can't think of it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it, maybe, maybe my friend didn't, maybe it didn't matter that much, you know? You're saying they're using the mist just to fuck with them. I, I, I'm saying that maybe they, uh, they were like, oh yeah, Camper 2, Camper 2 died. Like that's Camper 2 and I are best yeah, friends. Yeah, that, you know what? That might be it. <laughs> All right, let's go to listener questions now. We have a few from the Discord. Uh, let's go. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So Danny asks, favorite characters from Heroes of Olympus now that you read it all? Uh, the, I kind of went into this with the you know my my award for Leo, but I'll say you know I think Leo. Yeah. I like all the new characters a whole lot, even the ones that were kind of underserved. I think Leo's a big one. I think that I like Piper a lot. Leo, Piper, and Jason are all really good to me. <laughs> yeah, cool concept. I don't think any of these characters are bad, and they're certainly not. You know, if I found out tomorrow that Rick Ryan was writing a solo spin-off book about any of these characters, uh, I would be at least somewhat interested. Definitely. You know? Yeah, I think again. Same for me. It's it's Leo. Love Leo. Love that guy. Funny little dude. Yeah. Uh. Ooh. Okay. Here's an interesting one. Uh. Ultimate not cishet character of Heroes of Olympus. Also from Danny. Ooh. There's two routes to go with this. I think. Okay. Uh, I think I. The the first and the most obvious is like. The one for whom the not cishet segment was created, you know? Yeah. Like, we were kind of, in anticipation of, it, at some point, we're gonna get queer Nico content. And that we did get that in this series, and it was pretty good. Now, you are doing a bit of revisionist history, uh, which is that originally this segment was uh, Percy Jackson is not cishet, so the crew was created for Percy. You are doing a bit of revisionist history because it was really Percy Jackson is trans, and then we slowly had to expand it out. You're right, you're right. <laughs> oh man, I I want to go back to those Halcyon days. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I don't think Percy was giving up any of those vibes in this series. But you said there was a second path as well. The second path is Frank. Yeah. Who's who? When is when he's actually getting some focus? The trans vibes are off the charts. Yeah, that's the thing. Frank is one of the most like not trans, but most transgender characters, and like just this that I've read in a while. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
Um, I feel like if Rick if Rick Ryden want could get the convince the editor to let him and he wanted to like put a trans character in one of these books, like the easy option is to make it Frank. I think so. I, I completely agree. I I think that would have been a lot. I don't think that'll happen, but I think that would have been a much more interesting direction for his character, to be honest. I think if that happened at some point in Trials of Apollo, we would have heard about it. <laughs> Probably so. Yeah. Um, I I want to give an alternate answer to the second second route. Um, Oh, Piper. I think there's a compelling argument to be made for Piper as like with her, like the weirdness of her relationship with Jason and how they are sort of circling the wagon constantly. Um, Uh And like the way that that exists as like an element, like a foundational element in her mind. Um, But also she has like much more compelling relationships with like, for instance, Annabeth. Um, I, I don't, I think there are like closeted vibes to Piper. Are you saying that the romance, which especially in Lost Hero felt a little bit obligatory and like it was just kind of the thing that the characters were expected to do, uh, could be reworked slightly so it is reflective of Piper feeling as if this is the thing that she's expected to do, despite the fact that it's not really what she wants? I don't know if that's like for real, but I do th- I do think it comes off that way in a, ra- in a way that really works for me. Yeah, definitely. I c- again, I feel like that's something that Rick Riding could probably go back and... We'll not go back, but, like, do in a later book and use this as justification for it. I think so. I think that would be really interesting. Um, And Tanner asks, which characters did your opinion change the most on? Hmm. I think it might be Leo again. You think so? I I really did not care for Leo during Lost Hero. Yeah, that's true. I I thought he was... I think it was, like, two-thirds of the way through Lost Hero, I really started to warm up to him because he started getting some proper, like... It started revealing like the layers to his character as it went along, but initially he is, he's very grating. He's like, you know, we we talk about it later with like the way that he is constantly telling jokes, even if the jokes aren't good, because that's his defense mechanism. But you know, initially that just means that you're hearing a bunch of jokes that aren't good. Yes. And so yeah, I the initially I just I, I didn't like Nico, and I you said Nico, Nico again instead of Leo. We keep fucking doing this. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's Leo. Leo went from like bottom of the pile to like favorite character in the series, even if he was racist that one time. When was he racist? Oh wait, no, yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, you're right. He was racist <laughs> that one time. Uh, I'm gonna give a different answer, and I think I you gave yours because of the shift from like negative to positive. I'm gonna give mine for just yeah, like yeah. how much it bounces back and forth. I'm gonna say Reyna. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Reyna. We really ended up. Um, liking her quite a bit but i think there and i think we also started like kind of liking her like she was this interest mm. we we changed like how we approach the character of reina so many times throughout this where she is like she goes from this sort of compelling authority figure to a kind of like bland authority figure um without much personality to like Straight out down into the negatives, I think, during the early chapters of her in uh, Blood of Olympus, where you're just like, I do not like reading yeah. this. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the end, we are just like, yeah, Reyna is one of the coolest characters in the series. Like, we call, we were like, oh, yeah, she is the actual hero of Olympus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, like, the way that we see Reyna shift so much as the series goes on, like, I, I really appreciate her, like, the standout Reyna moment for me will always be, like... Um, uh, early on in Mark of Athena where she is like 
she's fully in the role of like the politician general trying to hold Camp Jupiter together even as like Octavian drags it into this incredibly destructive war and is like confronting Annabeth and saying look come back do a show trial after which you will get executed so that I have the political capital to try and keep this war from getting out of hand and then yeah that's just she's very different by the end and in a way that I still appreciate that's definitely my opinion there um so we have a couple more questions the oh these last two are also from danny uh i'll do this one first because of the order we're tackling the series what are things you want to see in magnus chase can be plot stuff character archetypes riot and tropes or anything else hmm i think so all i know about magnus chase so far is uh like the, the first couple of paragraphs of it uh, and so far, what I find really encouraging about that is that it feels like such a kind of return to form to like the way that um, the PJO books are written, mm-hmm. where it is this first person, almost like diary style, like talking to the reader as the the world is introduced, like a very strong picture of like Magnus's perception of the world. And I'm really excited for that to be kind of the direction that we go in, because we've really, I think, lost that since the end of PJO. Like, King Chronicles was absolutely kneecapped by the way that the narration was framed, uh, and, like, the bouncing between different characters in Heroes of Olympus often felt like it lacked focus. So, like, going back to just, like, I, hopefully just a singular perspective that we can really thoroughly explore is something that I'm really looking to. I think Rick Riordan kind of put the... He did the Dragon Ball Z, like, a tra- like doing the training weights, right? Like, I think he kind of, like... He, he was making it harder for himself throughout these last two series i think he will uh-huh. really, hopefully he will really shine with like returning to that single perspective if that's what happens i really hope so because my favorite stuff of his is like pjo and tres navare which are in that style now i also really want to see um i want to see strongly differentiated gods like i want to see uh, please a, a mythology that just feels completely different we got some of this with kane chronicles but also also often at times it did feel like they were just sort of the same thing kane chronicles like it starts out trying to differentiate itself and it feels like by book two it's given up yeah and a lot of the like interesting stuff with norse mythology often tends to be like the different layers of the world so i want us to explore like i want us to go into the mythological like sort of realms and stuff like that but also be- keep a strong mm. grounding in the mortal world <laughs> would be really good for me urban fantasy a, a bit more of that would be nice that's been lacking quite a lot i think uh, i want magnus to have a uh I, I think he's from boston i want him to have a um when he talks in like dialogue i want him to have a like very gratuitously uh, transcribed boston accent <laughs> oh that's very good uh i i want laid out in explicit detail uh the story of that one time the uh loki transformed into a horse had sex with another horse and then gave birth to an eight-legged horse that odin rides around on <laughs> that'd be good uh i <laughs> i want like I want no more than like one gratuitous reference to the my, to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think you're allowed one. As annoying as it is, with the time that these were being written, I don't think we can grudge him the one. And I don't know. I want the the thing that was cool about the King Chronicles was that like magicians are very different than demigods, right? Yeah, that was a point of differentiation that was actually brought across really well. I I don't know what I want from 
like the Norse stuff, but I want something different. Like I want, I don't want them to be demigods exactly. I don't want them to be magicians. I want them to feel just like incredibly distinct in a way that I think Rick Riordan can probably do. Yeah, definitely. I I also, I I want a, a bit of a relationship between Magnus and Annabeth. I don't want this to be like uh, a Jason and Thalia thing where they're like, they're related, but we don't really talk about it. Yeah, which is interesting because they're siblings and Magnus and uh, Annabeth, from what I understand, are distant cousins who never talk. Yeah, but you know, I mean, it, that only comes out because Annabeth is like, wow, I wish I'd spoken more to my distant cousin who I never speak to. So maybe maybe this is something that will change. Yeah, I feel like this will be tied into the greater world and probably more than it was, than Kane Chronicles was. Um, mm-hmm. Any Riordan tropes that you want to see? Do you want a character like a prominent feature of this series? To maybe be like one character who's kind of goofy and one character who like doesn't let them get away with any shit. <laughs> yes, yes, I think that should be a thing, and I think. We should take go in a bold new direction and uh, flip the the gender dynamic on that. I think it should be a uh, goofy girl and a guy who doesn't let it get away with any shit. That'd be good. I want more gay people. Also, would be good. More just that'd be good. Long live LGBTQ mafia uh, mafioso. Uh... <laughs> oh, uh, in ter- in terms of riding tropes, this is related to wanting more urban fantasy. Uh, I just want more like wacky ways that like. The, these these mythologies are like integrated into the real world i want more of procrustes waterbed shop yeah it feels like we didn't get anything like that in heroes of olympus i want it to be grittier but also more of a cartoon i think either way would be good uh i just i wanted to pick a side yeah definitely so you know that's a that's a fairly reasonable list of expectations all right should we talk about uh the final listener question yes we should all right what are y'all's predictions, also from Danny, about the plot of Trials of Apollo? Hmm. I... I'm honestly not sure, because, like, just going by the title of the series, I assume it's going to be, like, Apollo trying to redeem himself for fucking up so badly in this series. I don't know how you stretch that over five books, is the thing. That seems like... It seems like such a, like... The big structure of both of these series has been like, hey, remember how the Titans were a big conflict for the gods and myth? Hey, remember how the Giants mm-hmm. were a big conflict? I don't know that there's a third thing like that. So I... Are we just going to get five really personal, introspective books about Apollo? That could be interesting, but... I hope so, because I feel like part of the problem that we had with Heroes of Olympus was that the stakes were so world-ending right from the start. Yeah. And like, especially that that kind of creeps into Gaia and makes uh, like a much less personal villain and much more just like a big evil force of nature that we need to kill. Yes, exactly. I I have to assume at some point we'll be like, ah, but here's the big twist, right? But I want like at least one. If he does book. that, like four books in, that's fine. Yeah, my guess is it'll be more like at the end of the first book or the beginning of the second book. Uh, uh probably. But who knows? I. Hmm. My guess is that we are not actually. I. I don't think it'll be like solo Apollo. I think we'll probably uh. Probably have some like appearances from. I don't know how much, but we'll have some appearances at least from the characters that we've known and loved throughout the series. Yeah, definitely. Maybe, maybe we'll get some sibling drama between Apollo and um, Artemis. 
That could be cool. I, yeah, I definitely, I definitely don't think we're going to get, like, Apollo as the only perspective character. I think we'll probably get, like, that being tossed around again between different campers. Do you think uh, we'll get more Thalia if, if, if we're in sort of more of a proximity to Artemis, maybe? God, I fucking hope so. Hopefully. <laughs> I will say, I know a little bit. I know much, much a lot, because I did. I haven't read any of these books. I, I read a few. Mm-hmm. Of, I read four of the Heroes of Olympus books. I have not read a single one of the Trials of Apollo books, or the Max Chase books, for that matter. I I know a couple of plot details. I know that I know some stuff about Apollo's like situation in the series, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But I just, I have no idea what the fuck goes on. There's a tower of Nero. I, I guess Nero oh. was, a, was a Roman emperor, right? So. Yeah, yeah. You know what we will get more of in this series? What? Definitely. Uh, we, we will get more gay stuff, I think. I hope. Because um, this was something that um, Cupid talked about in the Nico chapters back in House of Hades was like, the, like a romantic entanglement that Apollo had with a dude. Oh, you're right. You're right. I, I think that, I mean, that definitely wasn't, I don't think that was not on purpose. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think Rick Riordan probably is going to intentionally include a lot more, like, I think he was trying to include a lot more, like, racial diversity in the series, for instance. Um, oh, for sure. And I think he's probably going to continue trying to create a book series that is, like, full of characters that a bunch of different people can relate to in a bunch of different ways, right? Yeah. I think I th- with, with Rick Riordan, it, it eternally remains that he's an old cishet white dude. And that's kind of something that is difficult to get around. But he's like a well-meaning old cishet white dude. He he, he tries, right? That's, that's yeah. at, at the very least, he is trying. And sometimes that backfires incredibly. And it's like, maybe you just shouldn't have tried. Uh, or maybe you should have done some fucking research or something. Uh, but sometimes, you know, it's really successful. Like, I think with Nico, it was really successful, for instance. Yeah, definitely. Um. I don't. I. I guess I don't know much else. I don't know any any wild off the wall theories that you might have. I want. I have one. I want Apollo to get split in half at some point, and for him to have to fight his evil self. <laughs> I want there to in be the like context a, of what we were just talking about. I thought you meant something else by Apollo getting split in half. <laughs> just like seventeen pages in a row, Apollo getting railed. <laughs> I no. That's the. I. I want. I want like a shadow link situation. That would be pretty cool, I think. And then they kiss. And then they kiss. And the 17 pages. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I think I think that could be cool. We haven't really done, like, evil self in this series. No, we haven't. I There was a little tiny bit of that with, like, people getting possessed in this one, but that's not really the same thing. Yeah, that wasn't, like, playing on their worst. Oh, there was, you know, there was a little bit in, like, um... Lost Hero, I think. I can't remember which of the villains it was, but there was one who was like, yeah, I'm going to make you give into your worst impulses, and it was making, like, Jason Leo fight. Oh, oh yeah, here's a plot prediction. We're, we're going to get an evil sorceress woman who was a little bit abused in the past, but, like, she's evil and <laughs> fucked up, and we have to kill her now. <laughs> and we do stop to talk about how it was kind of fucked up what happened to her, but we're not really going to examine it any further than that. Ah, uh, yeah, those, those are my predictions. I think that's a fairly solid group of predictions. I before we get to our special ending, something that we've talked about doing every single retrospective and have never fucking done. Uh, <laughs> it's the end of summer. It's it's the end of it's it's actually about the end of summer in real life when we're recording this. And it's it the, is. <laughs> it's the end of the summer, quote unquote, of Heroes of Olympus. 
we should assign can't we should assign our, <laughs> ourselves some can't beads for the series and for the series previous too. That was a long ass solo. Yeah, it was. Uh, do we want to start back at the beginning and give ourselves a can't bead for doing the for the unwise girls era of um, Percy Jackson and the Olympians? Absolutely. What is the bead there? I don't know. I, I, what, what is like the big? The the one like big defining thing that we would take away from our time with PJO. I, part of me, wants to say like, this is the book where we, this is the thing where we slowly not really slowly but like it takes like, we really end up getting into like, hey, what is Rick Riordan's ideology, <laughs> like. <laughs> I feel like maybe we get it. Mean, I think I think we know we know his ideology. He is a dipshit liberal, well-meaning, but regardless. Yeah, but this is the one where we like really like realize that this is what the show is gonna be. You know what I mean? Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. So I I don't know how you would represent that in a bead necessarily, or maybe maybe a podcast microphone because we started a fucking podcast. Yeah, yeah. Like, could you like I don't know, uh, a donkey, the a do- Democratic Party. Yeah, I guess so. And Rick Riordan making an <laughs> ass of himself. <laughs> we could do that. I kind of want to... I know it was just the one book, but I kind of want to do, like... I don't know, the, the, the Ares and Aphrodite cabin uh, uh, symbols, like, on the bead. Just for, like, Silena and uh, Clarice. Oh, I really like that, actually. Can we... Let's do that one. Because, <laughs> okay, the camp necklace... Let's examine the concept a little bit. The camp necklace in... Percy in Lightning Thief they got a trident bead in the Sea of Monsters they got a golden fleece bead yeah it's like the big defining thing like the, the big thing that you come away thinking about and the big thing I sure fuck I, I came away thinking let, let's it, it's 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 Ares and Artemis holding hands it's it's their symbols holding hands <laughs> or Ares and Aphrodite rather Ares yeah yeah and, you know, we, we thought about that so hard that uh, we just straight up rewrote our own version of it for that for that one show swap episode with Riley Hopkins and their amazing friends. God, yeah, we did do that. Wait, wait a fucking <laughs> sec. Are we... Sorry. There's something really funny about the optics of us being like, we're going to put the, the fucking Mars symbol and the Venus symbol together and be like, this is our big bead. <laughs> like okay this is the heterosexual era of unwise girls god yeah i guess it could just as easily be a reference to the the, the fact that um percy annabeth and grover had to like walk into their postcoital fuck den and lightning thief and retrieve some of aphrodite's clothes that she forgot and really a lot of uh, there was a lot of heterosexuality as as plot progression throughout like uh throughout the series like that was a lot of what Persebeth was you know uh-huh I, I yeah fuck it okay yeah we'll, we'll have the the Mars and Venus we'll have the Aries and Aphrodite that they are locked together forever it's it's Clarice and Silena for us yeah uh man Clarice got uh, the, you know what actually just to kind of relitigate something that we'd already settled in terms of like invisible characters who should have showed up more yeah, I didn't want to give it to her a little bit because I don't know, like she at least got something to do. But did she? No, she didn't. <laughs> Less so than Thalia, honestly. Although 
Her she was she was so invisible in this series that when we did our episode 100 and talked about who our favorite characters were so far, she had featured so little that we forgot to mention her. Oh god, that's awful. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <That's laughs> we should do Kane Chronicles too. We should. What's on our Kane Chronicles beat? <sighs> I have a, I have a I have a suggestion. Hit, hit me. Which is a joke, but just a just a a drawing of Riska Circuit's face. <laughs> You're always requesting jewelry with a picture of Riska Circuit's face on it. <laughs> I've only done that like five times. Uh, <laughs> I guess it could just be a big snake. That seems kind of boring. It's pretty boring. Uh, I don't know what's. What 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 do I still think about from Kane Chronicles to this day? Honestly, not much. <laughs> not a lot. It, I man, what a what a nothing series. Um, <laughs> this we do we do the the Mars and Venus symbol to to represent uh Sadie and uh Sadie and um fucking Walt and uh Walt Carter Nubis. Carter and Zia. Oh, uh, it should be uh, a little picture of uh, Friedrich Nietzsche. Okay. Because of the multiple times that Kane Chronicles implied that the Christian God was not real. <laughs> yes, wait. Oh my God, wait! I really like that. So much of this of this series was about staring into the void. Also, um, <laughs> truly, I, you can interpret that however you like, I guess. But God, yeah, fuck it, Nietzsche. <laughs> I'm sure we'll look back at us saying that in, a, in like a year and be like, why did we do that? But <laughs> okay. Uh, and finally, yeah. What, this is the most important one. What is our, what is our camp bead for fucking the heroes of Olympus saga? The, the epic, the, uh, the epoch, the fucking era of heroes <laughs> of Olympus. This is this is such a a long and historically significant era of history that in a hundred years Rick Ryden's grandchildren will be writing mythological novels about it. <laughs> I that'd be kind of funny. I don't know. What, what the, I want to get a novel <laughs> written about me by fucking what's a what's a theoretical name someone could have a hundred years from now? Um, Bugs Riordan. Zigzog Riordan. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure those are both equally. Those, those, are, those are both about equally likely, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I want Zigzag to cover the podcast. <laughs> we'll leave like a time capsule with like us asking some questions, uh, and then in a hundred years, Zigzag Raiden can like uh, paste their answers in and then post it on the internet as the final episode of Unwise Girls. By that point, all information on the internet they will be able to just post it to our feed because of the you know. They'll, they'll just be able to, like, purchase it as an NFT and then use it. <laughs> uh, you think they'll finally have cracked, like, buying an NFT actually gives you functionality over something by then? I don't... I think they'll have disguised it as some... I, I think they'll be disguising an actual thing as an NFT at that point. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. This is so far uh, off track. <laughs> we're talking about a real collectible, an imaginary bead. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which we're not even gonna like add to our fucking cover art or anything. Uh maybe at the end of the series we will we will do a special we'll we'll make a special little picture of all our beads. That'd be cool. So I guess what is the image that sums up our, our Heroes of Olympus era, Jane? I my first thought is just like a big picture of Leo. 
Because <laughs> I don't think we ever shut up about Leo. We no, truly, truly, we named an episode the Leo Valdez Appreciation Hour, but really, this has been the Leo Valdez Praise Year. I'm looking at. Is that our most listened to episode ever? I think it might be. No, no, the the first episode is the most listened. I, but outside of that, pe- people the people love Leo Valdez. And that's fair. That's really fair. <laughs> I, I don't think we just do. I, I think it's Festus. I think, I think we, you know, we, we put a big dragon on there because we talk about the fucking side stories and go back there constantly. Um, mm. I think that the big funny dragon really represents just everything there is about the series. Uh, and like all, all the, bullshit teenage drama took place on on the back of this dragon uh <laughs> all the good leo moments you know it's it's i don't know can i make an alternate pitch okay chuck norris <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> truly a defining image of this series is us with our heads in our hands whenever coach hedge brings up chuck norris I guess we could switch away and start doing the fucking Camp Jupiter thing and just burn an image of Chuck Norris into our arms. <laughs> oh, that really is way lamer. Yeah. It's so nice to have a fun camp bead. Part of me is like we just put fucking Calypso's Island on there. Calypso's Island being like just the the place we constantly go back to with like, you know. Would we get that confused with the PGO one though? Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm, I'm vetoing what you said. We're doing Festus. Let's do Festus. Let's do the dragon. We're doing the nice dragon. Frank also turned into a nice dragon sometimes. That's uh, true. Uh, this this series is really dragging on. <laughs> I, huh? Right? For fuck's sake. <laughs> oh, what's the, what's the final segment, Jade? The final segment is, you know, I think we've ended up coming down. Uh, a little, a little bit harshly on this series, especially on its ending. Uh, I think Rick Ryden, in a lot of ways, kind of dropped the ball with resolving uh, this series' hanging plot threads. Uh, but what if, dear listener, uh, I were to tell you that it could have all been different? What if there is an officially sanctioned alternate ending for the Heroes of Olympus in the printed publication version of my copy of it? And what if this is not available anywhere online? <laughs> I, what if I fucking looked on the internet everywhere for any reference to this and there was nothing? There's You can, like, fucking quote Google search the author's name, Blood of Olympus alternate ending, all of that shit. You will not find it. This is, let me just read from my copy. Wow, what an ending, right? But how would you have done it differently? Puffin Books challenged Movella's readers to write an alternative ending to Rick Ryden's brilliant Heroes of Olympus series. And here's the winning entry by Ellen Knowles. Read on to find out what happens in Ellen's version of the story. So we need to set this up. Is this, was this written, is this fix it fic or was this written before reading the Blood of Olympus? I think that this was written before reading the Blood of Olympus because it specifically contains like some, uh, some calls about how the prophecy was going to turn out that feel like kind of, uh, just like putting a, a fan theory into a fiction. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think that's a good... It's really funny to me that this exists. Uh, I I think I want to say, it, sorry, go ahead. And it also has the symptom that a lot of like uh, this happened in the run up to like Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows coming out, 
where like people would write their own like versions of the final chapters and it would be like the final battle as opposed to what the final chapter of the series would actually be and that's also what this is yeah and i i want to say first off i am not interested this is a rick riordan analysis and criticism podcast i'm not interested in like tearing this random person a new one uh no, this is this was some fucking fourteen year old who submitted some writing to a contest. But, We're not going to rag on them. But we are. We'll we'll discuss it. We'll discuss it. So, Jane, tell us what happens in the alternate ending. The alternate ending to the series that the seven heroes rock up to a big cave, and just kind of like muddle their way through some like monster encounters and like falling in a hole that Gaia opens up underneath them. Uh, before going in and having a big punch up with the giants where the Olympians finally come in uh, and it's noted it's kind of noted like oh the the other guys must have gotten the statue to camp half blood uh, without really like showing us any of that uh, and the giants all get beaten up excuse me the day is saved uh, and Hephaestus fucking uh, snaps his fingers and Leo fucking teleports to uh, Eclipse's island yes uh, and all the other kids uh they leave this this cave uh right as a bunch of like fire bombs are set up in it to stop Gaia from ever rising again and this is apparently the resolution to to storm or fire the world must fall i believe the specific line is the world was the cave uh-huh. which is interesting uh and then the kids all get out after the gods have gone home and realize that they are stuck because nobody knows how to pilot the ship since leo's already fucked off and that's the end so what did you think of this final chapter of the heroes of olympus jacqueline I I was prepared to come in and be like, wow, Rick Ryder, this is a better ending than Rick Riordan wrote. That's not actually, this is not, it's not actually a very suitable ending for the series, but it, it's fun. It's not a suitable ending. There are bits in here that I like and that I do feel like were kind of done a little bit better than like Rick Riordan's version of it. What are those? What are those? The specific bit I'm talking about is um, after the kids go into the cave, uh, they deal with a couple of little encounters and then there is like a long silent walk towards like the final battle with the giants yeah and it kind of it starts out really like quiet intent uh and then like i think it's percy that kicks off like just like an annoying camp sing-along and everyone else like slowly joins in as they're going and i just think it's like a really sweet bonding moment between all seven of the characters which also manages to call back to like the camp half-blood summer camp stuff and it's just like i don't know it it feels like a a moment of camaraderie between all seven of them that we never really got in the main series. No, this felt really out of place to me, and it's I don't think it's out of place. I think it's like out of place bad. No, wait, I don't think it's out of place bad because like <laughs> because we never. The only reason it feels that way is because we never got this kind of bonding moment, right? The, yeah, them singing camp songs together that it it comes back a little bit later, and I think a less effective way. Um, it is really just sweet like her annabeth being annoyed that percy's singing this fucking song but then they all join it i really like that um yeah i think the story bears a lot of interesting marks of just like this is somebody who is very influenced by rick riordan but who is not rick riordan um yeah definitely and somebody who is obviously a very big fan of the characters so like a lot of the characters are they're all pretty much acting in pairs like we are seeing the pairs of annabeth and percy the pairs of frank and hazel uh you know jason and piper and also we are getting Mm -hmm. like leo very heavily thinking about calypso the whole time Uh, yeah and that is just like an interesting like like we have a lot there's a lot of relationship stuff in uh heroes of olympus we talk about that pretty frequently but this is it's one of the like major focuses of this final of this alternate final chapter yeah yeah i think 
it also like it it is making a very spirited attempt to capture like the voices of the characters Mm -hmm. in a way that like i kind of recognize this from like alternate um like uh fan fiction that i would write about some of the books that i liked when i was a kid like i I did this when i was writing like alternate aragon fan fiction there's some fucking jane deep lore (laughs) wow like you you the way that uh you end up trying to capture their voices is by basically having them call each other their nicknames every other line yeah like i'm pretty sure annabeth calls percy seaweed brain like five times yes that that is one of the big things that jumped out to me i it's it's very fan fiction in a way that is kind of is fun to read right um, I mean, it is fan fiction. It is, yeah, exactly. I, I just, but it also, I mean, it's also officially published. You know what I mean? This uh, is true. But it, I, I guess I just mean to say, like, it's been a while since I've read a little Percy Jackson fan fiction, and it's, it's, it's cute to read. Like, I, yeah. The action is not particularly the, the action is like I think fun in the moment, but and can, like, there are some, there, there's some very video gamey bits. I think. Um, yeah. But, like uh, their final battle against Perfurion is mostly Perfurion. It's Perfurion, right? Uh, I think so. It's, is is mostly just Perfurion picking them up, squeezing them to damage their HP, and then like <laughs> tossing them against the wall and doing that a few times over and over again. Hmm. Uh, which actually, I think I gotta th- say though, ah. I don't think this is as much a compliment to this as it is a knock on uh, Rick Ryden. But this was not that much worse than some of the action in the back half of Blood of Olympus. I think. Uh, I, I I think I'd say that about like some of the action throughout the series as a whole, but I think Blood of Olympus was generally stronger than this. I uh-huh. the the storm or fire the world must fall uh, is really <laughs> very it's handled very funnily here um, in a way that is like I think you just like misread the prophecy. Like I don't really understand their thing about it at all. I I don't think they did because they like the world was the cave. Like they they say that as if it's supposed supposed to make sense. I. More so, I guess, just, like, the way that it's, like, oh, to storm or fire, the world must fall, and therefore we have the storm god and Hephaestus's firebombs. Uh, uh, yeah, okay, I see what you mean. Like, that's, that's storm and fire. Mm-hmm. We, we don't, we didn't really talk, you didn't talk about the summary, but there is a big deal made of, like, Nautis showing up, the storm god Nautis, and I'm like, who, was that a character? I, I forgot about Nautis. I think, I think this actually is maybe, like, a dropped thread. Uh, where this was the guy, uh, this is like the southern wind god, if I recall correctly, where um, the kids like got briefly stranded in Africa, in uh, House of Hades, uh, and like this was this is where like Jacob kind of have the first confrontation after Nico was like forcibly outed, and I think Nautis like has a thing where he's like basically telling Jason to get his shit together and find his resolve, and is like you know uh, don't despair because I'll I'll be there looking out for you in your darkest moment, and then it never comes up again. Or I might be making that memory up. I don't know. There's definitely a very important conversation between him and Jason. Uh, and he does say, like, hey, you need to do the thing. I don't know what he was talking about exactly in that. <laughs> Honestly, he I mean, he showed up in the final battle as, like, a horse, right? A little horsey. Yeah, true. But, there, yeah, th- this is definitely one of those things. It's like, somebody is picking out the elements that they think will be very important. Um yeah. I think Aphrodite also plays a better role here than she did in uh, uh, fucking the actual book where she is, like, helping Piper put Gaia to sleep. Yeah, they're, like, doing a dual charm speak offensive on her. 
And that's actually, while using microphones that Leo built, it's a very, like, I don't know, it's a very cartoon moment in a way that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like, it makes sense to me that Aphrodite would be there and, like, helping in a way that is, like, she is a very ancient and powerful god, right? Yeah. And I, I do wish she played more of a role in the final battle, it, maybe in the form that she did here, just in any form, really, you know? <laughs> uh, any other thoughts on this alternate ending? Uh, I don't think so. The end, the the final bit's funny. Uh, Leo just disappear. Uh, yeah. Leo disappearing because Hephaestus fucking teleports him. It, it's very abrupt, but then everyone being like, "Hey, how how do we fly? How do we get back?" <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a funny little note to leave off on. How do you like that? Wait, what do you, what do you think was special about this one that made it get chosen above all the others, all the other entries? I mean, considering the general quality of like the fan fiction that kids write, which is you know, understandable, they're kids, but like, I think even if this was definitely like brushed up by like an editor before it was published, I think just like the bones of this are like at the very least riffing off of Rick Ride and stuff and enough that like it feels like it more or less fits and is like coherently structured and like has an idea of what it's doing, even if that idea is a little bit weird. Yeah, this person has identified a lot of like the stylistic elements that Rick Riordan employs and like is using them in a similar way. Uh, yeah. And I think that level of like just like analysis and execution, I guess, was, you know, it, it, it's commendable. I can imagine you would have gotten some real dog shit in this, comp- in this competition. Oh, absolutely. Oh, you know, we don't want to make fun of this one. We will make fun of all the other ones because we haven't read them. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm sure they were all fucking garbage. <laughs> you know what i mean I, no i'm joking i'm joking i, I and also being serious uh so yeah i know this is just a fun little historical odyssey that i thought it'd be fun to like document because again the, we can't find anything about this anywhere else on the internet really just nowhere like i i challenge if you can find this online send it to us please i want to i want this to be preserved for future generations <laughs> It it also does it it wraps everything up in a pretty tidy way of like a a, a way that I do like the the original book more of like Zeus and Jason's fi- like meeting is pretty uncomplicated. It's just it's Zeus being like, "Hey, I'm really proud of you," and then leaving. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's certainly not engaging with the bits of the series that are like more critical of the gods and that we're always like desperately begging Rick to do more with. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and Annabeth almost dies. We forgot to say that. We there was like a good bit here where it's like, oh, is Annabeth gonna die in this? God, it would it would have been very funny if this person was like I don't know a hardcore like uh, Percy and Piper shipper and so killed off Annabeth. I almost said like a like a Perse Rachel shipper or something like that. Like Rachel comes in in the final <laughs> chapter is like I'm so sorry, Percy. But Percy's like I I never needed her anyway. <laughs> I think that'll be everything. That there was a lot of fun to read that alternate ending. It's been a lot of fun to fucking read yeah. the Heroes of Olympus with you for a year and a half or whatever. Yeah, definitely. I, I've I've enjoyed this this whole thing a lot. And it's really sad that now we have to end the podcast. <laughs> oh. uh, it is. How long have we gone on this? Jesus fucking Christ. Okay, I know there's some bits we're going to have to cut out. Well, just like one of us wasn't present, but this might end up being the longest one. It might be. I, and, and it deserves to be the longest one, honestly. Truly. Uh, so join us next time where before we get into Mag- before before we get into the next series proper, we're going to take a look back at uh, a, a, 
one of our personal favorite series and the way it's crossed <laughs> over into the main line uh, with demigods and magicians. I've already started reading it. It's I've got some, I've got some big thoughts on it. Uh, I'm sure Jane will too, when oh, she starts yeah. reading it. Uh, and yeah, next time on, yeah, I don't know. That That's it. That was Heroes of Olympus. We're never going to talk about it again. Do you have, do you have any like big final thoughts to get out of your system about Heroes of Olympus before we put this away in the box forever? I know we talk. I don't want our final word to, on it to be that it was mid. Honestly, I had a lot of fun with it. I think it was. I think it was good. I don't know. I'll, I'll, it was at least okay. Good. It was a good time. It was a good time. But my final word on it is that it's mid, just because like, do you remember? Do you remember a few months ago when a more civilized age was doing like Andor coverage, and there was like the bit where like um, Rob Zachney's theories about the water all like kind of came together, and like Austin went off like a solid minute about that's our boy, that's Rob Zachney. Yeah. I I edited together a version of that where I like text to speech uh, swapped out Rob Zachney's name with Rick Riordan, uh, and because I was like, oh, I'll use this the next time we get like a Calypso level chapter. Uh, it's been almost a year and I have not felt the need to use it so far. Oh man, <laughs> that's oh, that's kind man. of my final word on Heroes of Olympus. That's damning. That's that's fair. Ah, <laughs> uh, well. Thank you, everyone, for listening to. This has also been the entirety of the run we've been on a moonshot. We've said that a couple times, but like, we've never not been doing Heroes of Olympus on moonshot. I don't think. Yeah, it's and fucked up. Yeah, we're gonna be on here for quite a bit longer too. Uh, we're, we've got a got a, a couple books left. <laughs> Just a few. Just a few. Uh, one, two, three. Oh, that's that's actually uh, three, four, five, six. Um, hmm. Ten, well, ten books when once Rick Ryden finishes the new PGO one. Let's see. So there's okay. So there's the three Magnus Chase, five fucking uh, Trials of Apollo. That makes eight. Then the Sun of the Star and the Chalice of the Gods. That's ten. Yep. Yep. <laughs> there's also maybe gonna maybe a couple of like smaller books too. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're we're looking at the ten to thirteen range, I think. Uh huh. That's not that many. We've read 10 to 13 books already. We can do it again. <laughs> God, yeah. I also, like, as we've been reading Heroes of Olympus and as we've been on Moonshot, I think we've, like, a lot more people have, like, come to the show and listened to it. Like, the amount of people who listen to Week to Week has definitely gone up, and let's, let's just really appreciate it, and I'm glad that you're all enjoying and sticking with us. Yeah, thank you so much, everyone. It really, I don't know. I would make this show for two people. I was i was making the show for two people for a while. Uh, oh, yeah. And I... We, we still all... make a podcast for two people. It's called The Bonus Show. Yeah, yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, you know, you can go over and listen to that, too. We'll, we'll plug that at the end. But we, I, I enjoy just making a podcast with my one of my best friends in the world, Jay. And, and Absolutely. I'm happy, I'm happy that people listen to it. I don't know. I don't, I'll, yeah. I don't... We were sappy in episode 100. We can fucking we can we can be sappy whenever we want to. Damn right. Uh, our intro and outro is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Uh, our oh go ahead, please. Sorry. Our cover art is by Vera at Innsmouth underscore in on Twitter. We are featured on the Moonshot now. We. We are a part of the Moonshot Network. Uh, the Moonshot Network podcast. You can find them at moonshotpods.com or goodfuckingpodcast.com. Uh, sal- hats off to them salute saluting big time moonshot <laughs> if you want to find us you can go to pretty much anywhere are we on fucking blue sky now uh we do not have a blue sky account yet 
we don't have blue sky account yet okay uh it's we are on <laughs> we're on tumblr twitter co-host all those places at unwise girls there you'll find visual companions updates when episodes come out um our social media is our links to our discord server which you should definitely join because it's fun to talk in the discord server about people's thoughts on episodes and you know and sometimes if we're doing a wrap-up episode we'll put an at everyone in there and you can just submit a question for us to fumble through live on air uh-huh uh-huh um and uh various stuff like that also if you want to support us you can Number one, tell a friend about us. That's the biggest thing in the world. Number two, uh, rate us five stars on wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a nice little review. That'd be so appreciated. Number three, if you want to get a little bit of monetary support, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash unwisegirls, where for a dollar a month, you can get the Discord role of, saying this for maybe the final time, uh, Camp Counselor. For $3 a month, you can get the Discord role of Friend of Bacchus, as well as all of the bonus content. Uh, we are about to finish up our uh, read-through of the Homestuck epilogues, which will mean that we have like a complete accounting of... Uh, all of the officially related uh, released Homestuck media up to Homestuck 2 up to the beginning of Homestuck 2 I should say so if like just a retrospective going through like that whole thing sounds interesting to you I should join up or if you are a black sales sicko because we also did the entirety of that show <laughs> that's right oh and of course the Trace Navaria books as we said earlier we'll probably do the third run of that sometime after we finish the epilogues uh, and for $5 a month you get the Discord or love Venus is chosen, all of our bonus content, and a very special thank you at the end of every single episode. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank I Love Sammy's Great, Danny, Tana, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. Bye. Bye. getting kicked in the face at Warp Tour? Did you shatter your glasses in a mosh pit in 2007? Did you wear more studded belts than a Final Fantasy character? Then we have the show for you. We are So Emo I Fell Apart, a podcast about third wave emo, late night live journal updates, burnt hair, and everything in between. Join us every second Saturday as we examine major moments in the history of emo and keep you updated on current events. Because it was never a phase.